This is the Dice Tower Network at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. I'm Marty. This is Tony. And this is episode 28, Money for Nothing, and I guess the chicks are for free? Well, I guess. I wouldn't know about that. We've been married, uh, what, pretty close to 20 plus years, man? I don't know if they're free, dude. Okay, well. That's going to come back and haunt me, man. No. Money for nothing. I'm, I'm leveraging a time in our life when we were spending money and we really got nothing for it. And that was on when our playing games, uh, playing card games online. I've got nothing from that do- those days, man. No, no idea or uh, what I spent my money on. Yeah, and it's kind of come back around again with um, the iOS games and popular board games are now in digital format, which is what we're going to spend a little bit of time on this episode talking about. Now, granted, we broke our rule by saying we would not use another song title as an episode title, but we did it again, so we might as well just forget that promise. Yeah, well, if you just stopped at money for nothing, I mean, how many people would really know that that came from a dire straits when we were freshmen in um, college? Wasn't Would they know when when they came from us? No, but I bet you 90% of the people know that song. Hey, I will say this. I was very pleased from episode 27, turkeys could, you know, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly to the number <laughs> of people that that agreed with us as that is the number one comedy. I, that's that, that was great. I think that's the most popular episode we've ever had so far, strictly because of the title of the episode. Hey, good choice. And I went out and I said, you know, that's a classic. I need to go out and see if WKRP, you can buy it on DVD. Have you looked into that? I have not. All right. So just give you some, I'm, I know I'm div- digressing here, but it's, it's really interesting, Marty, that so you can go out and get the first season of WKRP in Cincinnati on a DVD. But when you read the reviews, it's released by 20th Century Fox. And due to licensing restrictions and the rights of the songs, they dub over all the songs. Uh, you talking about like the title songs? No, no like when they're they're playing like uh oh in the background, in the ba- like in their yeah. with the uh, Doctor Fevers in the uh, in the studio, and there's a song playing. They're dubbing over that. Yeah, because they can't pay the licensing rights to the artist to keep oh. from having to. Wow. So just, I mean, I don't know that you'd ever notice it, but that is odd. Unless they make specific reference to a song. For example, remember the episode when um, uh, Johnny Fever was in uh, listening to the Pink Floyd album um, Animals? Yeah. And it had the dogs barking in the background. <laughs> and Carlson comes in and says, do I hear dogs? It's like, I do. I mean, I wonder if they had rights. If they didn't have rights for that and they're playing something else, that would make no sense whatsoever. Exactly. Where the time Les Nessman puts on the um, rug, the toupee over his head, and they're doing ZZ Top, Sharp Dressed Man, or whatever it was. <laughs> but but the one that got me that people were talking about is, you know, you remember Jennifer Marlowe's Lonnie Anderson's doorbell? I think it was Fly Me to the Moon. Uh, I vaguely remember that, but they had to dub over that? They had to dub over that. So you're getting all those episodes without the original music and people say, well, you may not notice it, but those of us that did, I just found that very, very interesting that they they won't be able to release those because of those rights. Wow. (laughs) 
I, I wouldn't have thought that had been a huge problem, but I guess looking back, I can see why it would be, though. Well, it's not a problem if you're willing to pay the artist money. Yeah, that's that's true. Huh. Well, now that kind of taints that a little bit for me. Now I don't know that I'd want them. Oh, man, yeah, same here. But anyway, so that was that was pretty funny that people recognized that that, that was a, a great show. So, but It is, and surprisingly, this is actually a podcast on board gaming and not on classic uh, 70s comedies, so... You, you wouldn't know that from the past two episodes, but. <laughs> well, uh, sorry. Memory lane. Look, we haven't talked, well, we talked about emergency on one show and, <laughs> and all these other good shows that were in the 70s and 80s, but people have come to recognize that from us, but that's all right. Yep. So uh, what we got on tap today? Well, we got a couple things. Uh, like you said, the first thing we're going to do is um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit, and that's not the first thing. We're going to talk a little bit about iOS games that you can buy on your iPad uh, and if, if playing them, learning them, uh, how, how do they impact the gaming thing. We'll discuss that a little bit. We're going to follow up with a Gen Con interview I did with uh, Corey Jones from Cryptozoic, President CCO. He's going to talk to about uh, Cryptozoic's new online TCG game called Hex. Um, tie that into a game that you're doing with Blizzard, and that is, remind me again? Hearthstone. Hearthstone. Uh, got that going. We uh, From Mace, we had an interview with Chris Norwood, uh, fellow podcaster here over the Dice Tower Network, and he is going to share with us. He's got a game that Game Salute's already um, purchased, or I don't know if it's purchased, but they're looking at releasing from him. We're going to hear from him. And then you and I got to play Robinson Crusoe. da 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 uh, yep, about about time. Remember, we I referenced it on the uh, the past episode that uh, past me was going to get to play it that night, and as I talked to it from future me standpoint, so I did. So we've both played it now. So um, and we talked about it before about is this game really worth it? So I guess uh, what do you think? I guess we'll just go ahead and cut right to that. Do you think it was worth the wait? Well, seeing as how we were still waiting. Yeah, uh, as far oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, you've played it. Yeah. I mean, was it was was the anticipation because there had been a lot of buzz from this game. I guess from Gen Con on, can't find it anywhere. Uh, the people I've talked to uh, locally who've played it who have really liked it. So I guess the the bar had been raised kind of high in my head on how good it was going to be. So like, we finally got to find out. Yeah, and it was it was very good. I I mean, we lost, we froze to death. And so we didn't win, but you did win, didn't you? We did. And it was funny. One of the things I'd heard about this game was how difficult it was. It was the, uh, it's one of the hardest co-op games. It's very hard to, uh, it's very hard to win. And the guy that had taught it to us spent many a time just telling me how brutal it was and, and how it was going to be a tough time. Don't get frustrated. Well, like everything fell into place for us. It, It was like, it couldn't have been any easier. There was never any tension of why we were even going to lose just because of how the things happened. Now, I must admit, when, when he first laid out the board and started explaining the rules, I was somewhat lost. I thought, there's no way I'm going to understand this after one gameplay, and I'm not even sure I'm going to like this. But I was pleasantly surprised once we started playing. I think it's one of those games that you got to start playing it in order to kind of grasp what's going on because it's hard for somebody to explain to somebody else how it works. I agree with you there. I mean, same thing, all the components laying out. I'm like, what are all those cards over there? What am I doing with this card? Um, what's the weather? How about these tiles? You know, how does all that work? You're right. When do these things happen? How do you get, you've got to eat. When do you eat all that? you're right. You had to get into the game. You needed to kind of step through it one phase. And luckily there was no ill effects from that first phase. 
um, when we played. So you were able to quickly understand what you had to do. Um, I didn't find in my group where we felt like there was a, a key where that alpha player is going to say, you need to go do this or this or that, you know, that's what mm-hmm. having played pandemic recently, you know, we always have that one time where, um, it's like, well, I think, you know, this one person is, we need to do this, 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 and we'll win the game. And I, I didn't feel that. I didn't think like there was any ever one definite move that you needed to do or any move when we were playing that said that was, that's what lost us the game. Right, right. And um, so for us, the reason why it just kind of worked out so easily, well, number one, you talked about it being kind of confusing. When you first see the board, it, it, you're right, the board does not make any sense. Um, there's no, when there's no tiles lying out there and you have all those cards on the side, they come to find out that those are the, the cards that are available to you during the game that you can use to be able to create things like fire furnaces, what have you. I, think, I believe there's basic... Uh, things that can be built every single game, but then there's uh, ones that you draw that are randomly put out there that can be done each game. Uh, there's the different uh, layers, uh, uh, places on the bottom of the board for like your event deck and your hunting and your production. You got the weather. So the board is very confusing, but once we got into it, it didn't make sense. One thing I really liked about it, it had somewhat of a Euro feel in a co-op game, meaning you had these different phases and there was the whole idea of you have these tiles that you have to explore, and the tiles uh, provide different sorts of resources, whether it be wood or food, and then you can collect those resources. Those resources can be spent to build things. Um, so all, all that, uh, the resource management part, felt to me very much like a euro, so it felt a little more strategic than maybe... I don't know, maybe maybe pandemic a little bit. It just had that more of a Euro feel to it. But yet, if, lots of times when you talk about a Euro game, usually, okay, a Euro game is not going to have heavy theme. Right. That's one thing that surprised me. Everybody told me the theme really works well in this game. And I'm, I'm like, really? It's Robinson Crusoe. How? After playing it once, it's like, it really does. As you're playing the game, never did I feel like, you know, in pandemic, sometimes when you play the, the, um, uh, the uh, the the diseases are basically just colored cubes. Oh, we have an outbreak of red. Yeah, you know, an outbreak. Of, here, you felt like okay, I we got to feed each other and we got to collect this food because it, each night everybody needs to eat and we need to have wood in order to keep warm. And there was the whole idea of building your um, uh, your shelter to protect you from the rain and the snow that might be coming. To me, the theme hung really well. I never felt I didn't ever feel like I was just collecting colored cubes. It really felt like, okay, we need food. We need wood. I agree with you com- completely on that. Because, I mean, like in pandemic, you know when the bad epidemic is going to come. We've gone around the table. Everybody's had a turn. So the next person, an epidemic, is going to come out. All right, so we've got to get rid of these cubes. You're right. It's not like I'm fighting the malaria or the bubonic plague or anything like that it isn't from pand- pandemic. But I had to survive. I had to build the shelter because I knew the storms were coming. You had mm-hmm. to, you know, protect yourself. And if you didn't explore, then you couldn't go out and enhance your chances of survival by being able to build the various traits or items that were over on the side. You had to go do that. And just like if you were trapped on an island, sitting on a beach waiting for a ship to come by is not going to enhance your ability, your chances of survival. Plain and simple. You will 
freeze from the elements. You will die. You won't have wood. You won't have food. And the same thing in this game. You've got to explore. So you got to do that. You've got to hunt. And you've got to be able to invent things to enhance your survival. So they've really done an excellent job of bringing in those elements, just like you said. If you're trapped on this island, thank goodness I've never been trapped because I don't know if I would definitely <laughs> not brought home anything to eat. We would have all starved on the first day. But you got to go find, you know, the food. You got to do that. You got to go find the fresh water. I don't remember, Marty. Water wasn't a play in this, was it? Food. I, it, it was. It wasn't. It was food and um 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 wood. Sorry. Uh, yeah, wood, but the animal skins. Animal skins. Hide. That's it. That's it. Yep. Hide. Yeah. Which could be used for um you know uh, building a shelter or building the roof on your on your shelter, or keeping warm, and so yeah. So it had all those uh, th- uh elements to it, and so I'm I'm looking at the different phases there's there's the event phase which starts out with which is a random event happens and you have to deal with that event uh you got that morale phase um where uh you're looking uh, on the on the board there was that morale track you know at the top that you could have boosted morale or or bad morale and if bad things happen your morale went down that was another thing we got extremely lucky lucky on i think the morale goes up to plus one or plus two our morale never went below plus one ever and the guy who taught us the game said, I have never seen the morale stay in the positive the entire game. So we got kind of lucky on that, too, because having a good morale gives you these things called determination tokens, which can be used throughout the game as another type of resource in order to perform actions or abilities. Uh, oh, that's another thing. Everybody has a role. Right. So everybody uses these determination points in order to perform their role. We got lucky in that aspect, too. Uh, yeah. And on my game, I was constantly, I think, rolling it and, and hurting myself, cutting my hand when I was trying to start a fire or something. I'm thinking of Tom Hanks and Castaway right there and um and that and i kept hurting our morale and i kept crossing that boundary and causing our morale to go down so we always had to have a worker token on the morale to boost our morale right there and to gain the prestige because we can never not do that and that that i think hurt us in that game um that was the other aspect to me marty was the you know you're rolling the dice to determine your success but if you were to place two workers out there you could bypass that role to to ensure success that I really liked. If you really needed to accomplish something that got it for you, you didn't have to worry about the rolling of the dice. You could say, I'm going to uh, go explore and I'm going to be successful. Therefore it was the chance, push your luck chance. I really liked how the employer uh, used that in the game. How about you? Yeah, they, um, so talking about the different phases that you had, you had that morale phase. After that was a production phase, was actually you're producing your food, your wood, or whatever. Then what you're talking about, the action phase, where everybody has a couple pawns that they're able to place out on the board. Now, depending on the game that you use, we did play the easy version. There's a thing called you can bring a dog with you. <laughs> and the dog is basically an, an extra player pawn that can be used to help you out on things, which makes the game easier. I've heard that if you don't have the dog with you, it does make it harder, and I can totally understand why. We didn't but have yes. the dog. I think he was part of the biscuits. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Sorry. Did you have biscuits at the beginning? No. You had the extra food at the beginning? Okay. okay. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. So, yeah, so when you place your uh, pawns out there, you could do it for uh, dealing with the event that just happened. You get, need to assign uh, tokens to the event in order to deal with it, or you may want to go hunting. Maybe you want to build, gather resources. Maybe you want to explore the next tile. Uh, maybe you want to fix the camp, you know, build a shelter, build uh, uh, build a roof over uh, build the uh, palisades and, and build it up to protect against weather. 
But you're right. If you only placed one of your workers out on each of these locations, then you had a corresponding dice that you'd have to roll. The dice had uh, multiple things on it. Uh, one was, I think it was blank. Uh, uh, one was that you, um, you had to, to draw a card off a deck. Uh, there was a just a yes, meaning you succeed. You had to have one of the yes icons just to be able uh, to, to see if you succeed or not. If you didn't want to risk that, because you could roll and not have a yes token and have to deal with one of those cards, and typically if you had to pull one of the cards off the particular deck where you put your worker, it was usually something bad was going to happen. So if you didn't want to deal with the whole luck aspect of it, you take both of your tokens, or at least it required two people's tokens on that location to say you have a success and you just do it. Now, obviously, when you do that, you can't do as many things per turn because you're consolidating a lot of people's workers on fewer locations. But one thing I liked about it is, you know, I'm not a big dice rolling fan necessarily unless you can mitigate your chances. This is how you do it. If you don't want to have to deal with the luck of the dice, assigned two uh, pawns out there and you ain't got to deal with it. Exactly. It was a, it's a great concept. I enjoyed that part of the game. So you do your actions and you have multiple actions. It, it was really well done um, from that standpoint. I hate that we didn't win because, you know, you always want to try to win your first game out, but that's okay. We didn't get the fire built. We didn't get rescued. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the other things on the dice, by the way, where you, you could take a wound or you could actually gain two determination tokens I, instead. I, but I think I w- rolled wounds every time, every time. But you needed that successful action icon in order to be able to do anything. And, and like you talked about, need to build the fire. So the game is built on based on scenario or it's played based on a scenario. So there are multiple scenarios in the game. And the, the introduction one is you got to build this big bonfire on the beach so that people could see you and come rescue you. So during the course of the game, you're having to collect tons of wood to take it out to the beach and to stack up in order to build this fire. So you built the fire up to a certain level uh, before the end of a um, certain number of rounds. You, you had these rounds that you played through, then, then you won the game. And one thing that was really cool, those rounds were indicated by basically weather. The further you got into the round, the worse the weather was getting. First it was rain, and then there was snow. And each one of those was more detrimental. So when you got to the weather phase of the game, you have to roll these weather dice. And they have different icons on them. When you first start out, you're dealing with simpler dice. They don't have as many effects. By the end, you've got blizzards or thunderstorms or potential hurricanes that you've got to deal with. And when those happen, those, those, it makes it harder to stay warm. It tears down your shelter, etc. So as the game progresses, in many co-op games like Pandemic and such, as the game goes along, it gets harder, right? It, typically, it steps up in difficulty over time, making it harder to finish. This is how they do this in, in Robinson Crusoe is basically with dealing with, with the weather. The weather's going to get more intense over time that you have to deal with. Right. Now, see, with that, you know, you talked about the theme. Now you're talking about blizzards. Well, blizzards aren't going to happen on an island, so I'm going to have to adjust it. So I'm now uh, surviving the wilderness of Alaska or somewhere, man. <laughs> well, I guess it says winter clouds, so I guess it's just it could be cold snow. Well, yeah, you're right. In a tropical island, I'm, it ain't going to happen. Okay, you're right. This theme just blew up. Never mind. I don't like okay, it. Okay. Well, how about a major hailstorm or something? No, that wouldn't work either. Not cold enough. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, overall, Marty, um, would you are well, you still can't buy it? I still haven't received an email. Right. Um, I'm not going to pay $200 on Amazon to get it from cool stuff, Inc. They're the ones that say they have it, but I'm not going to pay that. 
Um, I'm going to wait for it to be reprinted, come out. And then, I mean, they've got it. You're right. They've got to come out with more roles. They've got to come out with more scenarios. They got to, you know, change things up a little bit. They can add dice. They can add items. They can do all kinds of things to this game. So if they get on the stick and really start working on this, Z-Man's probably got a game that's going to last for years to come, you know, just like pandemic was five years and they've only released three expansions and Mm -hmm. it's going, I mean, this could do great for him. But once again, you can't get the game unless you happen to be like uh, the guy who brought it to me, Chris Norwood, who we're going to hear from later. He just happened to walk in his local game store and she just happened to order a copy and he just happened to walk in and buy it. And boom, he was lucky. Our game store can't get it. So hopefully we'll see it in the, you know, coming months, maybe second quarter of next year. I would hope who knows. Yeah, who knows? Because you remember um, Terra Mystica when they was first released in the U.S. I got mine like uh, April, um, uh, March, April time frame, and just now recently, all the uh, online game stores have said, "Hey, we have Terra Mystica back in stock." Look how many months that took. So my fear is Robinson Crusoe is going to be the same way. So what? So now you know everybody's screaming about their new game was a Bruges. You know, I'm hearing all the other mm-hmm. podcasts talking about how great that game is. So, okay, do I move on to that game? I mean, I can buy that game. I need to read more about it. But, you know, The Secret Cabal over there talked uh, has a great uh, review of it and talked about how great it is. So is it time to move on? I can't play Robinson. So what's what else is out there? Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we know somebody that has a copy. Hopefully we can get to play. When it comes becomes available at that time, this is the bad thing because it's not available right. If it was available right now, with it being Christmas and the holidays coming up, I would probably get it because I know I'd play it. But when it comes out, say sometime next year, eh, you know, now you're competing against other games that aren't out right now. Right. And I think that's where it hurts Z-Man because you've got all this buzz, you've got all this demand, and there's no supply. Exactly. You got you got to meet it. And oh, hey, we got a success. Why did you not know you were going to have a success? I, yeah, and I know there, there's risk involved, right? It's like, well, what if it's not a success and we got all these boxes sitting on the shelf? I totally get that. But you're also missing this wave of opportunity that everybody's all a buzz about it and people want to play it and they can't. So what happens next year when the next big thing comes along? And then finally, well, prime example, tear miss, go back in stock. Yay, yay. Well, you know what? If you would have had that back in the spring, I guarantee it'll just sell a lot more than what it has this fall when it just was recently came out of available again because now Gen Con's come and gone and there's all these other great games that people are more interested in. Right. Uh, I'm completely. So we're on our soapbox. Sorry about that, guys. But, you know, it's I'm looking for a game that will go out and replace Pandemic. You know, I've been playing it for so long. Uh, and to me, I appreciate you letting me borrow Flashpoint and try that out. And everybody enjoyed that. But once again, it felt more like of the pandemic because I'm start start trying to stop fires and rescue people, you know, trying to mm-hmm. fight the disease and cure the people. Um, and then I didn't get to play police precinct, which has got a new Kickstarter out for its second release. But once again, it's kind of the same thing, stop crime and, and arrest the bad guys. But, you know, here was something fresh and new. So hopefully, hopefully we'll, um, you know, get us a copy. Like you said, a friend of ours has it, Kevin, and you need to make sure that you loan it out to us. So, you know, there we go. Um, do you know, did you say you know somebody that's got the other team at Bruges? You know somebody that has that one? I don't. You don't? Okay, all right. Anyway, we got to figure it. We got to get somebody in the club that has that one. But anyway, so. And by the way, it's our friend Steve that has Steve. it. Steve. Is it Steve that has it? 
Steve has. Yeah, that's who taught that's me right. at Mace. Ke- Kevin got um, Firefly. That's what he got. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and Steve was so funny. He was he was the one that was just shocked how easy it went. And then he, and I was just I was having fun with, it and I was picking on. Him. I was like, this game blows. You said it was hard. This was a piece of cake. And he was getting all flustered. No, it's not supposed to be this easy. But I could totally see why it was easy for us because everything just kind of went our way. So yes, Z Man, if you get the game out there, I'm I'm very interested in it. I definitely want to play it again. I would like to buy it. I just hope by the time it is easily accessible to me that there's not something else hot out there that I'm interested in at the time. So you know what this reminds me of, Marty? It's one of these things where you watch like um, Eric Summer or Vassal go through their top 100. Oh, this is a great game. This is a great game. But it's out of production. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we just right. talked about how great this game is and you can't get it. Oh, well. I yeah, know. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. So anyway. All right. So you ready to transition over to the... Um, other side of the house where we're going to talk about a little bit of that online gaming that and and listen to um Corey jones from cryptozoic talk about uh his stuff yeah so you say you you talked to him at uh gen con right yep i talked to him at gen con so um let's let's take a few minutes here and then we'll um start up that discussion on online tcgs I am standing here with Corey Jones, President and CCO of Cryptozoic. Uh, appreciate you being on here, Corey. Tell us a little bit about Hex. That's where I'm standing in the booth right now. Uh, no problem at all. I'm really happy to talk about it. Uh, so Hex was something that we started about two and a half years ago, and it is uh, a concept that I had about the kind of game that I wanted to play. And what it is is a uh, MMO TCG. And so this okay. is a fully digital uh, trading card game married to an MMO. And most of the people I'll say that to are like, what? That, what does that mean? What does an MMOTCG mean? And I'll tell you. So, um, w- when I say MMOTCG, what I'm, uh, what I'm talking about is a game, uh, a set of games, MMOs and TCGs that share something in common. And what that is, is the need to have a very robust community. You're not really playing an MMO. You don't have the massive unless you have a lot of people playing. And so, uh, that's an incredibly important part of how MMOs are built. And for trading card games, it's exactly the same. Without someone to play with, you're not really playing a trading card game. And so, you know, the, we and Wizards of the Coast and other companies spend millions of dollars a year putting on tournaments and doing events so that we can bring people together to actually play these games. So the uh, great thing about a digital game is that it aggregates all the players in one place as just a part of how the system is built. And so it, it struck me that there was a really great opportunity to take what both MMOs and TCGs do so well, marry it together, and come up with something that is greater than the sum of its parts. I call it sort of a you know a chocolate and peanut butter invention. Both those things are great individually. You bring them together, and they're even better. So on the uh, MMO side, uh, we have uh, the ability uh, for the player to log in. The game is completely free to play, and uh, you're going to make a character. And the char- you'll make a keep to start with, and you'll name that keep, and the keep will hold all the characters you're going to make. And you'll make a character, and the characters are one of uh, eight races and uh, six classes. They have uh, one of the two factions. Uh, There's sort of a good side and a bad side. And uh, you're going to actually level that character up. You're going to join guilds. You're going to have an auction house. You're going to have a complete single-player experience where you go through uh, our initial 42 dungeons, hundreds of hours of gameplay, and you're going to uh, have a faction rewards. You're going to unlock specific cards in that single-player PvE experience. Uh, you're going to have all of the stuff that you would expect from an MMO, but through the lens of a trading card game. 
And so that becomes this very remarkable thing. So one thing about MMOs, you've always, you're chasing the loot and things like that. How through, is that how you're going to manage it through the trading card game where you're helping to build your character? Uh, well, it, it happens in two ways. So one of the great things that we have as an advantage, uh, one of my childhood friends, Kevin Jordan, was one of the three designers of World of Warcraft, did all the class systems in, in WoW. Uh, he left and actually joined us to do all the class systems and MMO, world, uh, MMO mechanics buildings for uh, Hex. So I've got some very experienced people. Uh, you're leveling your character up, you're unlocking a skill tree, and the skill tree choices will then impact how your deck works. Uh, when it comes to the chasing the loot, uh, we have loot tables for all the different creatures in the game. And one of the great things about uh, Hex is that it, and, and again, as I start to get deeper into this, like the intricacy, the, the, the amazing innovation starts to really blossom, and that's what I'm going to uh, tie everything back into. Uh, we have the innovation of being, I think, the first TCG to be really a sandbox gameplay experience. And what I mean by that is we made the very distinct decision early on that uh, we would be digital only, no physical cards. And so when we made that decision, it allowed our canvas to become infinitely wider, and then uh, we were able to take all that infinite canvas and have that as design space. And so, like, one of the things, I originally wrote the, the, you know, the game design doc, and I put all this innovation into it. One of the first things was the idea of socketed cards. So cards where you can actually socket a gem into it, you have 20 gems to pick from, and it fundamentally changes what the card does. Okay. So if you can imagine, wow. like, how creative that becomes, yeah. it is it's insane. And well, so any character customization, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah, and so you're customizing your character you made through leveling up and picking skills. But then imagine the cards that you play with, the, the, the champion actually is your character in the game, and then it, it, you have the deck, which is, you know, all the guys that are with him, all the troops and spells and all the other stuff. And so with uh, socketing, you're actually able to fundamentally change the cards by putting gems into them. There's a certain number of socketed cards per set, uh, and it starts to create that sandbox gameplay experience. The next piece of it is every card in the game has two pieces of equipment associated with it. Your champion can wear six pieces of equipment. They have slots that are specific, head, boots, you know, a weapon. And what we've done is we've made every card have two pieces of equipment associated with it. So when I make a deck, I can pick one of my cards like Burn. You know, it's oh, it does two points of damage. If I'm wearing the Flamewalker's Helm, Burn now does four points of damage, and instead of going to my graveyard, it goes back into my deck. Okay. So all these really fun, crazy ways that it changes the cards are all about what equipment you're wearing as well. And so that equipment becomes the most chasey thing in the game. That's what's dropping. There's thousands of pieces of equipment. That's what's dropping in all the dungeons. And so you've got this really amazing sandbox experience playing back into all the things that you would expect from an MMO. So, yeah, go ahead. No. Uh, so the, the other, I'm just going to continue on. So the MMO part, you, you, you've got all these dungeons, 42 dungeons. We also, some of the dungeons at the end, if you beat them, they unlock a raid. And the raid is like the WoW TCG raids that I created, where it is your, uh, you and two of your friends playing as a team against the AI raid boss. And the raid boss has these crazy powers, and he goes through multiple stages. And so it becomes this really interesting puzzle challenge of figuring out how to build three decks that work together with all the right equipment and all the right skill choices to then beat that raid. So you got all these great things that you've seen in MMOs, but done as a TCG. Okay. Very interesting. So where are you on the stage of this? You mentioned Kickstarter earlier. Where are you all on this? Where is Cryptozoic about getting this out to the masses? It's, uh, it's been about two and a half years. We did a Kickstarter in June. Uh, the Kickstarter was uh, the 
I believe in the top five video game Kickstarters of all time. We're the 15th largest Kickstarter of all time. We were asking for 300,000. We ended up with 2.5 million. Just a uh, little success. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's and but e even more valuable than the money we raised. We've got about 20,000 hardcore, super awesome advocates that have formed the the hex, you know, backbone in terms of a community. And if you go to our website hextcg.com and look at our forums, amazing. It seems like the people we've sort of aggregated at this point, the people that have flocked to hex, are very creative, very passionate. They're very into the vision of what this game could be. And so they have so many great ideas, and it's a super positive community. We had uh, one of our one of our ten thousand dollar tier backers. We had fifteen ten thousand dollar level backers. One of our backers, Colin, uh, he's at the ten thousand dollar level. He actually did a thing online where he picked someone who couldn't afford to fly to Gen Con to attend the uh, special dinner that we're putting on. He actually used his frequent flyer miles to get that person a flight and a hotel. Like this community is so awesome; it's beyond words. And I got to tell you that, it, that those people are worth tenfold the money that we raised, and so it's been amazing. Uh, so, you know, going back to the game, uh, there's also besides the PVE side of it, there's the PVP side of it, which is all about esports. So everything you would expect from a high-end TCG draft, multiple formats, working on real cash prizes, so you're able to log in and have real weekly real cash prize uh, tournaments that you can sign up for. So all the stuff that you would expect from a real full-fledged TCG in terms of the PvP side, rankings, all of it, is all going to be in the game as well. Okay. I know in past ones where I've seen the digital card games, and you know, it's always been you you compete in the tournaments, and if you didn't have the rares, then you you would it would be hard to. How's that different with this one? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, totally different. One, uh, I think one of the things people are going to love most is the uh, draft. I don't know if you're familiar with draft format, yes, but draft, draft format, format, you sit down with three unopened packs. Everyone opens a pack and takes one card and passes, and, and that levels the playing field totally because it's not about your collection at that point. But beyond that, i got to say, our designers do look at, and they're actually worried they've gone too far in the other direction. <laughs> and you've seen it in WoW, or WoW TCG as well. Um, you can make tier one level tournament decks right now out of only uncommons and rare. Oh, sorry, uncommons and commons. That's great. And so that's... that's like, we have a Burn Rush deck right now that's all uncommons and commons. I think it has, like, one rare, one set of, four, like, rares. Like, one card is rare and you want four of it. But outside of that, everything else is common uncommon. And that's pretty remarkable. Most high-end TCGs kind of force you into buying a lot of, you know, like rares and legendaries. And for us, yeah, there are some Tier 1 decks we've built that do have a fair number of those things. But we've also got hyper-competitive decks that have almost none. So we really are designing this to be very, very accessible. So you talked also about the pricing model. The pricing model yeah, for our well, game yeah, is uh, free to play. Like I said, you get a starter deck for free, and then you can earn hundreds of PVE only cards. But on the PVP side, uh, we're two dollars a pack. Two dollars a pack for a fifteen card pack, and it comes with a treasure chest that also is filled up with cool PVE stuff. So we're uh, less than half the price of most of the other digital TCGs, or well, the other digital TCG you're going to see out there. Right, and just slightly above an iOS game, so you know, constant enjoyment, constant growing in the community. Yeah. Let's talk about trading, though. Um, a lot of things, you know, there's that's the biggest fear in these. I know when I played a certain TCG online, there was a lot of, hey, this this trading was not right. They, they found ways to beat it. In today's world, I'm sure y'all have got that all figured out. But so you'll be able to trade cards with one another and that yeah. kind of stuff? We have individual trading. We also have a full-fledged auction house like you would see in a game like World of Warcraft. 
So full auction house, full functionality, sortable, tabbed out, put in buy it now prices. How long do you want it in the auction house? So that's one of those great MMO features that you've never seen in a TCG, a full-fledged, real, honest-to-goodness auction house. So that, that's, so you open up a pack. I really don't need that. It's not for my character. Throw it in the auction house. Throw it in the auction house. Yeah. And so a lot of this is the virtual money that you'll be able to go yeah. back in. Yeah. To get in tournaments, are you buying, like, tournament uh, passes, things like that, whatever uh, you want to call our, it? Our hard currency is called platinum. Our soft currency is called gold. Uh, gold is what you earn out of the dungeons. Platinum is what you buy. Uh, platinum is what you'll use to enter the tournament, so it'll be X number of platinum to enter a tournament. That money is then taken and used to create the prize pool, and uh, and that's how we give you packs when you win the game. If I don't charge something to enter the tournaments and give you the packs, I massively devalue the, the value of those cards in the packs. So we've actually juiced it a little bit. We, it's not a one-to-one. I think we give away more packs than we take in in terms of platinum, but not... Not desperate, not, not too much. No, I mean, you, you got to do the balance. Yeah, I, that, yeah. That's understandable. And o- overall, from the standpoint of the of the game, what's it run on? Uh, is there any special graphics? Because, you know, in today's computer times, you know, not everybody has those super rigs that can play the uh, no, Guild Wars 2 and that kind of stuff. No, no, no. Uh, Hex is a digital card game. It is not super graphically dependent on the latest hardware. It is beautiful particle effects and sound effects and it looks it is the best looking digital tcg ever created but that even even the best digital tcg ever created uh doubled would still run on machines that are five years old so the hardware is not an issue and it's going to launch on mac and pc and then also on tablet so it's actually going to be on uh, ios and uh, android tablet as well that's, that's pretty impressive. What happens if you don't log on for a while? Are you missing out on anything? You shouldn't be because you're in a TCG. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, like, we have events. Like, we'll have a full slew of holidays, and we'll have, you know, new sets are coming out all the time. So that kind of stuff, I guess. But um, overall, it's not like a – and that's what people worry. They hear MMO, they think, well, I haven't logged on. Oh, I'm so far behind. I can't play with my friends. Oh, no. Not, not here. No, leveling is – I mean, leveling will be a fun part of the experience because it unlocks stuff, and it's learning, and it's fun. But uh, leveling is not the point. Uh, right. the, the point is exploration and uh, creativity, how you build decks, how you unlock dungeons, what the dungeons do, and how you play. The dungeons aren't just playing TCGs. You have lots of mechanics built in the dungeons. Some of them play like a deck-building game. Some of them play like Werewolf, where it's like you're trying to figure out clues. So, it's 5.30 at the exhibit hall. Yes, it is, but that's okay. (laughs) We'll edit that. All right. So, uh, there's lots of different ways to play the game inside of the dungeons, and each of them are very unique and very interesting. Some of them are just straight playing TCG. Some of them are... Almost like a whole different game. That's that's impressive. So when do we see it roll out? Alpha is uh, going to be at the end of September, you know, fingers crossed. And then hopefully uh, beta comes pretty shortly after that. But video game development is not like anything else. Like uh, The example I've been using all day is that you're on a path. You can see your destination up the road. The problem is you can't see the road between you and uh, the destination. So my hope is that we're going to plug right along and everything's going to be on track, but some big holes may open up in front of me and then I'll have to figure it out. Well, Corey, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about Hex, but if I can have a few more minutes, I'd love to hear more about Cryptozoic Games, if you got a moment, yeah, of especially, um, I, like I talked about Skullsfire, they let on that there may be an expansion or something coming. Yes, absolutely. Currently working on it. Uh, Rob Heinso is working on it. He's the, the mechanics designer. I'm building all the flavor and IP and writing stories. And then uh, the artist, actually, uh, Nick, has become available again as well. He was actually in school, 
And so uh, my hope is that we can get that thing plugging along pretty quickly here. Uh, I definitely want to put another one out uh, as soon as possible. You saw the trophy that I built uh, for the uh, uh, Epic Spellwire Anila Get On tournament that's here this weekend. Yeah, I hate that I wasn't able to get into that. That that's awesome. So. Yeah, the 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 trophy came out pretty good. It's pretty funny, uh, but I love that game. I'm very passionate about it, and I want to uh, get the next one out pretty soon. We have some new mechanics that's going to be in it. We've already talked about. It's going to be awesome. Uh, are we going to still have to use our wizard's voice? Oh, of course. Are of you course. kidding? Like, that won't be ridiculous. Oh, please, I hear you. So we talked about Gravwell doing really well. Yeah. Um, what else has been getting a lot of play here on the floor? Uh, you know uh, everything. Yeah, right? John Kovalik's here, and he you know did a, a game for us called Raffle. I mean, Raffle. John is amazing uh, designer and artist, and uh, so that's been a real pleasure to have him doing stuff with us. DC deck DC building. deck building has been doing a remarkable for us. We've been running tournaments in the other hall. We had to double the number of tournaments, and there's really no even prizes. People just love the game so much. Uh, in the other hall, we had to double the number of tournaments because it was just packed. We've had hundreds of people show up to play DC deck building tournaments. I love DC deck building. It's part of our Cerebus engine of deck building games. Same engine that we have Lord of the Rings stuff on. Uh, DC uh, 2 is coming up. Uh, you know, we announced that we have Street Fighter on that same system. Um, but DC is amazing. Like, I, I hope everyone gets a chance to try it because it is one of the most compelling card gaming experiences I've ever had. We balance it, I think, perfectly. I've played hundreds and hundreds of games of it, and there is no point in the day when I wouldn't stop what I'm doing and play again. Like, I'm so in love with that game. I know, unfortunately, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to play it. I hope to play it here. Other than that other mar uh, superhero game out there, I can't, that didn't appeal to me, so I can't wait to try DC. Yeah. Especially because, you know, hey, it's the Green Lantern. Right. You know, what, Batman? What Batman. For me, there's Batman. Ten slots empty, and then every other superhero. There you go. I love Batman. But you got to give it a try. It's easy to learn, and it's super fun. And Lord of the Rings, everybody loves that franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've heard a lot of good things about that. It's Real the same basic engine, but with some modifications. We kind of keep it fresh. But uh, once you get a chance to try the Cerebus-style games, you'll think uh, you'll, you'll see how great they are. Okay. Well, Corey, I appreciate you taking time to talk oh, with me. Oh, my pleasure. And for, especially before they say, it's 6 o'clock, time to get out. You right, know what right. I'm saying? Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. It was very nice meeting you. Nice meeting you. All right. So first off, Marnie, I don't know if you caught it, but Hex for Cryptozoic was kickstarted last year, and it raised close to $2.3 million. I didn't get in that. Did you get in that kickstart at all? I did not. I was interested and i did not pull the trigger because i did that with soul um soul forge and i was just not very impressed with soul forge so i was afraid to try this one i said if i want it i'll just wait till it comes out exactly and i just our taste from so you know if you've been listening to the show and um we've had a guy tweeting about he's gone back and listening to chris we appreciate you listening to our old shows there um, you've heard us talk about Lord of the Rings and our love for, you know, that's what really got us into this trading card game by Decipher. Well, they came out with an online, they they licensed Worlds Apart or whatever. You got con contracted with Worlds Apart, which is now owned by Sony. And if you want us to get on another soapbox other than our Robinson Caruso one, you can talk to us what Sony did to the Star Wars online game. We'll be happy in what they did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be happy to rant. We'll be happy to rant on that for an hour if you want us to. Great. I mean, we can. We could all probably almost hum the startup of that video game just because we <laughs> waited on the screen to load. Anyway, so the world's apart. Um, 
produced Lord of the Rings online. It was a great opportunity. You know, we couldn't get together all the time to play a game that we loved. And we're playing Lord of the Rings online. And actually, it was a really decent implementation. You know, we played rules wrong, and we learned the rules. And and you could go out Mm -hmm. and participate, and you would get um, booster packs, you know, virtual booster packs. And, you know, but it just didn't go anywhere, man. It was just very, it was, it was the same thing. You were chasing rares online. Sure, it, it was. And obviously this was during the time where there were no tablets. So there was no concept of, you know, today where people can pull out their tablet and play on the iPad, which makes it easier. We had to play on a PC. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was it, uh, it wasn't web-based, was it? There was an application we had to download. Mm-hmm. But it was the same sort of deal where you're paying, I can't remember, was it the same price as a physical pack of cards or was it a little bit cheaper? It, it was the same. It was, yeah, about $3.30, yeah. Yeah. So we actually did this. We were paying for packs of digital cards. And that's where the, the whole title, Money for Nothing, we're, we're pumping money into something, but we don't have anything physical in return. We basically have these digital reputations of the cards. And like you said, it was, a, it was really well done. Uh, we enjoyed playing the game online. But I was a little bit apprehensive for that whole business model because I just wanted to fill a physical card. Remember, it wasn't too long after that, uh, Magic did the same thing. Right. They came out with an online version basically selling uh, their digital packs, and I think, I guess it did pretty well. Uh, those guys are very passionate about their game, and, and they were okay paying for digital booster packs. And so that model has, has been around for a while. I guess we uh, first played it in the early 2000s, so it's definitely, you know, it's over 10 years old. Right, and we did Magic. We got we did it online, and I own a version for the PC. I own a version for the Xbox. I did not buy one for the tablet for the ipad but remember that one's that one's a tad different that one's the one that came with the base cards and the one that we played on the xbox you couldn't buy any additional there wasn't any randomization remember there wasn't any random booster packs you bought it was just a set number of cards which i've grown to love hint our shot at or our mention of android netrunner in the show right right but but there was another version where people could buy the uh, digital boosters and they had the the rare cards right you're absolutely right and but it, it goes back to the point i mean I like what they're doing over there at Cryptozoic. I like the idea of, you know, a raid with cards and, and not just being player versus player and, you know, getting loot and pulling stuff in. And those, all those ideas that Corey was talking about sounded really, really interesting for this. But, you know, from my standpoint, uh, am I, am I willing to go out there and I guess I, what did I get? Not money for nothing. I did get some enjoyment. You and I got to play when we couldn't get together. That was the enjoyment. But once again, you know, I'm kind of hesitant. And and now you've got another one by Blizzard. What, Hearthstone, like we just said at the beginning? Yeah, so I got into the um, beta for Hearthstone from Blizzard. And uh, I don't know if I've, we've mentioned this before, that you and I were really into, when it first came out, the World of Warcraft collectible card game. Uh, we were both playing WoW at the time, and obviously we liked the CCGs at the same time. And I wish I could remember how many years this has been out. What do you think? Oh, Five, six uh, years, yeah. maybe. Something like that. And so we got into that and and playing it. So when they came out with Hearthstone, I know you haven't played it, but it is very, very close to playing the exact same way as the card game did. You remember with the card game, uh, any card could be mana. And each mm-hmm. each turn you could you could put it down and that would be your your source of mana. Here you don't have to play a card. Just basically your first turn you get a mana, and every turn after that you get an additional mana to use. So that part's changed a little bit, but everything else down to a lot of the keywords work exactly the same. Right, it's almost the exact same game. So I've been enjoying it because it's been a it's kind of been nostalgic. 
going back and playing that style of game. But it's the same concept is that when this comes out of beta, actually in beta right now, you can buy booster packs and there's random rare cards in it. Will I ever invest in it? Probably not. Um, again, it's a fun game just to kind of play. They give you a little starter deck to play with, but I don't know that I'll go anywhere beyond that. Right. And, and I understand and, and not trying to tell the listeners, Hey, these aren't good games. Cause I'm sure they are great games. We don't know. We haven't had the opportunity to play them, but you know, speaking with past experience, you know, and that's one of the things that we talk about is we know our play style and it's, it's probably an excellent opportunity for people to get online and interact, but, I'm still like, like you, I like being able to, to meet you for lunch and be able to play, you know, net runner or play a a card game like that. That's still to me, probably my preferred, but for those out there that may not have that opportunity and, you know, would like to play people and test their metal against everybody around the world. Here's another opportunity Two ones that are out there, you know, well, a whole bunch are out there magic, like we said, but hex and hearthstone, you know, those are coming out, you know, give them a shot, take a look at them. And as far as the virtual card games go, look at them, which leads us to another thing, board games on the tablet. Now you, Marty, you, when I got my iPad, you said, you got to get Ascension, you got to get Ascension. And we've played it a couple of times. Um, but right overall, you know, how are board games on a tablet? How do they compare? I mean, for me, it's, you know, I've tried to play, um, Ticket to Ride. Uh, I've got a, a lot of them on, on my tablet, but, y- mm-hmm. you know, I'm only doing single player on it. And I don't know why. Yeah. And maybe this is a little bit of a soapbox for me. I know that there is a huge market out there for iOS or Android based board games uh, that can be played portably. And I know I have a lot of friends that are really into it and, and really enjoy it. Here's my issue. The whole reason I enjoy board gaming is I like sitting down with people and playing a game in the social interaction. It's not necessarily the game that makes it fun for me. It's just the being in that social interaction and playing. So there are some iOS board games that are prime, perfect, exact replicas of board games as close as you can get to how everything plays. And I've bought some of those like you. And like with Ascension, we've played some online, but you know, it's it's the where the uh, it's it's kind of back and forth. I make my turn and then you'll be notified when it's your turn. Well we found that, you know, I would go like a day and and forget to check it and then I would go make my turn and then you have to go back and well what did he just do? What was I doing? In, there's a lot of downtime in between those turns to where you forget what's going on. And it doesn't feel like a, a, a continuous game. It's not really an experience. It's just I'm making my move and moving on. You know, they've got Eclipse out now. And I tried doing a game of Eclipse online. It just it was, it was just did not go very well because when you, if you have a lot of people going, it takes days just for one round, you know, to occur. And then you just forget what you were doing and the strategy that you had. So, I don't know. For me, it's kind of a nice, maybe little diversion. Maybe you're doing it as a single player. It will never replace a multiplayer real game for me, though. I'm with you there. I mean, I just just because it was on sale, I got Pandemic and enjoy it. But I don't think I'll. I may do pass and play. And from that standpoint, you know, it was like, hey, that's why I bought it, pass and play. But I will say, that, and this is the positive. 
I think that getting a game, if you can get it and you really enjoy it and you really like playing the single player against the AI, you know, it's a good way to learn strategies of the game or to even learn mm-hmm. the game to pl- to mm-hmm. be able to play yep. it better. And I, I do think that that's where that benefit is for an iOS game comes in. Um, like being able, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the La Harve, La Harva, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to be able, if I ever get, see that at the table, I'll be able, Oh, I've played that. So when someone's teaching me, I'll at least have some basis on how that game's played. So that, that's a benefit there. Sure. And if it's done really well for a prime example is Agricola, you know, Agricola would be tough to learn. Well, if you got a, a, a board game on the, on the tablet, or if you got a version of it on the tablet, it might can walk you through the rules and make you understand a little better. So when you finally sit down at the table and play with people, you can understand you could, you've played through it. Same thing with the clips. They just came out with a version of Lords of Waterdeep, which I'm just gaga over, but I didn't rush out and buy the the iOS version. People have been talking about it, how good the AI is, and maybe and I guess it is really good for building strategy, but personally, if I'm gonna sit down and play a video game, I'm not gonna wanna play a board game. I'd rather play something that's kind of built for a video game, whether it be an action game, a, a strategy game, a real time game, you know, sort of mm-hmm. deal as opposed to a board game, because I'd rather reserve my board game time with real people. And I'd rather sit down and play, I don't know, XCOM or, or Guild Wars or Borderlands or something like that. If I'm sitting at the PC. All right. And that was an excellent shot at me trying to, okay, yes, we will finish Guild Wars too. Okay. I will get there. And and maybe start Borderlands too. I I know. Okay, fine. We'll do Borderlands. I'll get a new PC and yeah, yada, 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 yada. Okay. My bad. Yeah, I will say this, though. Remember when we were playing um, Settlers of Catan on Xbox? I enjoyed that. And the reason why is because it was real time. We both had on headphones and we were both playing the game and Carcassonne. We were playing that together. To me, that's different. If you're playing a digital version of a board game but doing it real time with somebody else, I would enjoy it more as opposed to make my move, put it down. It's asynchronous. I'd rather play synchronously than asynchronously. Completely agree with you on that. So there's a plus and minus to these online games. You'll find your need for, for me. I think it's mostly been to learn a game and just to entertain myself periodically. But like you, Marty, just like you just said, if I'm going to be playing on a computer or something, uh, which sometime I hope to do, I'm going to want to play Guild Wars 2 or Borderlands 2. And, and that's just the way it is. Yep. I totally agree, man. All right, so Marty, the next segment we've got is with Chris Norwood, who is also on the Dice Tower Network, and he is responsible for the uh, podcast Exploring Games. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, segment, Marty, we sat down with him at Mace, and he was able to um, give us a little time here to talk about a game that he got over to Game Salute. And it's kind of like in the, it's a co-op game, and it's a different theme in that you are working in a hospital, and you are trying to cure the patients that come in. But what's unique about it is there are no roles in the game. So let's give this a listen and um, see what Chris has to say. Hey, I'm here at Mace still, and we've got Chris Norwood standing with me, and Chris, I know you said you showed me the, um, you know, some images from your game that's coming out. You've got it's already a game salute. Any idea about when that? It's a co-op game, guys. And you know, you hear Marty and I talk about. It. I love my co-op games. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about that. Hi, uh, the game is Acute Care. Uh, now, I'm a nurse. That's sort of my training, and so uh, it kind of grew out of that. 
part of it is just the fact that I love co-op games as well. Pandemic's my favorite game, and and oh, so yeah. yeah, yeah, I love yeah. Pandemic, and um, and so I was looking for just to do something. I've tinkered with game design before, and and written some things down, but never really followed through on anything, and and so I had this idea, um, and really because I'm an educator, that's the other thing I do in my actual role, is that I sat down and decided I'm going to design this game, and I actually made some uh, design goals, I guess, some objectives and things I wanted to accomplish. And so part of what I do in my job is that I work with new graduate nurses. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted a game that I could play with them, that they would be able to understand, that would, again, reinforce cooperation and would reinforce um, just kind of critical thinking and, and stuff like that. But more than anything, I'm a gamer, and so I wanted to have a game that would be fun to play that I could take to other board gamers, and they would appreciate it on that level as well. And so that's really where it came from. Is, okay. And neat. so the theme is you're basically a nurse. You're, you're um, taking care of patients on a busy medical surgical floor in a hospital, and you're trying to get through a 12-hour shift. And so you have a certain amount of time, and it's, it's kind of like, again, pandemic and a lot of other things where you've got these action cubes, these time cubes, and you have to invest them every hour. And so you have to take care of your patients. You have to deal with cards that you draw every turn. Um, and, again, trying to survive and deliver quality care and, and make it through the whole shift. All right, so I'm going to do a little segue here so we go from the burning house to the hospital to save the patients to oh no a disease is broken out of the hospital i'm liking it i'm liking it. you could you could have a whole yes. night of co-op games where you are saving the exactly. world exactly it's sort of the transition i guess from flashpoint to pandemic it could be a great great idea so so hey that, that's really you know what it is now one of the things now how you know, it's all about the professions or the roles that you play. What are some of the roles in, in acute See, care? See, I think that's the one thing. I've thought about that, but just by the nature of it, it's more rather than having a role, yeah. you have an assignment. So you have patients that you're taking care of. Um, I was afraid to start really doing the role thing mm -hmm. quite as much because if I were to give a role that this person's good for doing IVs or something and I had a bunch of IV challenges, then I was afraid that person, all they would do is IV challenges. Um, I, did, I couldn't think of a way to give that role specialization without making it dominate what they do. Okay. Um, so it's more the way that you have your individual thing is that you have your own patients in your own rooms and you can help with each other's patients. But every single turn, you draw one card, and um, you have to usually apply that to one of your patients. So there, you can talk about it and kind of work some things out. There's still a lot of cooperation. Again, you can come over and spend your time with my patients if it would help. But but um, every patient person draws that card at the same time, and that way you know you can get input, but you're still ultimately making a decision about how to use that card or apply it or mitigate it one way or the other as it applies to your patients. Okay, now that, that sounds neat. And that's actually, and like you said, no. I mean, you think about when, if you unfortunately, if you ever do go to a hospital or whatever, that's really how it's done. And being, being you know, that's what you do. That's an excellent application to it. I mean, there's And I think what I've found is that um, it, it's a, still a, a relatively complex game, but my two main goals, my two main targets, I guess, um, are nurses and gamers. Mm -hmm. And so when gamers play the game, they get the mechanics. They understand the basics of cooperation, of you know, action cube placement or action you know, taking like that. Um, and so they get it from that manner. And so even though some of the, t the terminology and things like that are uh, maybe a little foreign to them, um, they can get the concept because they understand the game. But when I play it with nurses, mm -hmm. some of the, the game concepts are a little difficult for them to get. But because they know the reality, they're used to actually taking care of patients in a real hospital, 
Um, I think it's thematic enough that it's really closely tied that they get the mechanics because of it really does do. reflect what they do. Absolutely. That is, that is now, I know you mentioned that hopefully first quarter of next year, hopefully. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, Game Sleuth's really busy, and there's a lot of artwork. Um, we do have a, a nice, a really beautiful box cover that we've got now, and, and so I'm excited about where it's going from there. But I haven't gotten a lot of details yet. I think it's going to be kind of slow as they develop those art assets and, and go from there. So I, I don't I don't, don't want to say anything guaranteed, but I certainly hope in 2014. Yeah, so. So I guess for, for our listening on is 2014, keep your eye out. We'll definitely run it again because it's like it's you. I love the co-ops. I'm liking this. Flashpoint to a, a cute a care. care. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I was tied tongue on a cute and, and then pandemic. That is, that's just so neat. So now another thing that Chris shares with us here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names is he is a glutton for punishment and has his own podcast. Yes. So give us, give us a plug for the podcast. Tell us what you talk about so you can be at it definitely to people's listening pleasures how long it runs uh, things like, hopefully you're not a five-hour podcast <laughs> no de- no definitely not definitely not uh, i'm part of the uh, dice tower network as well uh, exploring games is my podcast and i've actually i've been blogging now for like seven years so wow. i've been writing my blog forever at gamerchris.com um, but then i guess it's been over a year now almost two years i decided to start the podcast and and really the the niche that i see myself filling is more that deeper look the, the exploring games is, is the name of it because that's really what i get out of games that's the main reason i play games is to get in there and, and experience the system see what games can do um, and, and so a lot of times i'm going to sort of go to those in-depth things and and a lot of times i'll even if it's mostly a solo podcast uh, I'll try to have a subject that I talk about that gets a little bit more in depth. So I'm sort of more on the onboard games and uh, ludology sort of side. If you're okay. you want some podcasts that I'm similar to, my my hero is actually Mark Johnson uh, in podcasting, uh, and his you know forever he's had more games to go, and that's really kind of the the vibe that I go for, where it's 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 a low frills, just kind of me and a mic podcast for the most part, but I get into subjects and I'll talk about things and occasionally I do get some, you know, some people to come on and join me, but but then again, it's not going to be, most of the time, it's even then not going to be like an interview, it's more me and a dude, let's talk about some subject and see what we think about it. That sounds kind of familiar, like, oh, I don't know what we try to do, pull yeah. off. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, how often do you come out? Uh, well, irregularly. How about we say that? Irreg- but, no, <laughs> well, you, the, the goal job. The goal is like every two weeks, and actually I'm changing my format. I was more, I would uh, sit down and record like an hour and a half a lot of times a podcast and put it out maybe once a month if I was pretty lucky. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is to go a little bit shorter now and, and have more like 30 to 45 minutes and get them out at least every two weeks is the goal. So hopefully I'll get more regular uh, as we go forward. Well, Chris, I appreciate you stopping by, taking some time with me, and I can't wait to see Acute Care out there. Be sure to send us a note say, hey, it's out there, guys. Get it out there. So Absolutely. once again, pay attention uh, out, uh, if you're interested in a co-op game along those lines. Chris Norwood, appreciate you being on. Thanks a lot. So that wraps up episode 28, Money for Nothing, where we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, board games in a digital format. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that was in that is in disagreement with the way that I look at it. But hey, that's that's cool. That's just my opinion. And also, we'll have to put the soapboxes away for a while and hopefully, you know, 
we'll see. We'll, we'll see if Robinson Crusoe, and we promise, just like we promised about the song titles stopping, that's the last we're going to discuss Robinson Crusoe on this show for now. Right, Marty? Well, until, until we get it. Okay, then we'll go back to it. So probably uh, you'll hear us in about third quarter of 2014. <laughs> <laughs> hey, last shot. Take that. Mm, drive that knife into him. What can I say? Oh, so uh, Marty, you took Eldritch Horror down to your in-laws for your big, um, what is this, tryptophan uh, feast? Is that uh, 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 yes, yes, our big turkey con mm-hmm. that we had down there. Um, yeah, so uh, my wife's parents lives down in Mississippi, and her brother-in-law, who is big into Arkham Horror, was going to be there. So I thought, well, let me bring Eldritch Horror to see what he thinks. Now, if you listen to what our thoughts were on episode 27 at Eldritch Horror, I felt that the game with eight people was a little too long and drawn out, so I was determined to play it with just five people, and we did that. It was uh, me, Vanessa, Adam, Travis, my two sons, and and Bob, who's my brother-in-law, and so we got to play it. Now, I will say that it didn't decrease in time a lot. I feel, still think it took us about three hours to finish. Uh, we did play with Cthulhu uh, as the uh, elder. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to preface you there, Mario. You did take out the big boy. Yeah, we, we did uh, use Cthulhu because it's like, all right, we saw what the easiest. Let's see what supposedly the hardest is. There's only four gods, so we assumed he would be the hardest. I guess he's a he. I don't know if he's a he or she. He has to be because, well, his daughter is Cthulhu. Did you see her? Uh, yes, I did. And actually, we had to go up against her. That was okay. uh, part of the uh, deal. So anyway, so uh, my suspicions were correct. I think it is a much tighter game at five players, even though it still took a while. There was a lot less downtime. It was a lot more tense because there was a lot more going on. The mysteries that you had to solve with Cthulhu were very interesting. It was very thematic in the fact that Cthulhu was supposed to rise up out of the ocean. So there, everything that had to deal with the ocean was kind of in these mysteries where Bad things were happening in the ocean all over the place. If you had to take a trip on the ocean, something bad was going to happen. So thematically, that was done very well. Bob really liked the game. Uh, like I said, he was a big Arkham Horror player, so I was curious whether he would feel like, eh, I don't need this game. But he was like, no, I think I need to add this to my collection because it's different enough from Arkham Horror that he appreciates it. Well, and I know you tweeted that um, you said he thinks it's different, that it does not replace Arkham Horror for him. No. No, correct. Yeah, it doesn't replace, but it's definitely it's like an Imagines of Madness in that he wants to play it along with Arkham Horror. Okay, and I was just kind of curious because he is the man that sat down across the table with Richard Lanius and said, "Got to play Arkham Horror." So, sure, was, sure, I, I yeah, was that's curious. It, yeah, it's kind of his kind of his hero, but I still like the game for the same reasons. I love the fact that instead of just trying to close gate and get gate tokens to end the game. It depends on the mysteries. The mysteries have to be solved, but the mysteries are different each time. Uh, I love the aspect. Oh, people died like crazy. I think we lost six characters during that game. Yeah, that's what I remember when we played against it. It was like everybody was dying left and right. It was quite yeah. funny. But And it was, but it was so cool because it's like, oh, you know, this guy's got some great loot. So somebody would make an effort to go over to there that where that person last was in order to loot their body to get their stuff that we thought would need to win the game. We... uh. We did not win. Um, we really came within one turn of winning. Uh, we, the Doom track, we needed one more time on the Doom track to, to finish. But sure enough, we drew um, an event card that somebody didn't pass. And it, it made us move the Doom track one extra time. Cthulhu comes out and basically drives everybody mad. Game over. Right. Now, this is one thing, and we'll, we'll end it up real quick on Eldritch Horror. 
that I've thought about as, you know, you and I have played it a couple of times. I mean, no, we're not masters or anything, but one of the things about the characters, one of the, the big thing is the theme of reading the text. Like if someone dies, you, they either, if they died by insanity or if they lost their health, you'd read either text. If you keep playing the same characters over and over, eventually you're going to get to, I'll oh, just roll the dice. You don't need to read the backstory, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, they're going to come out with expansions. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are characters uh, in fact, I cannot. I can't think of the character. There is a character in Arkham Horror, and everybody else will be shouting this out when I say it. It's the one with the dog. Um, oh, we have Pete. And is that a, what his name? Uh, uh, some uh, Pete Ashcam. Is it Ashcam Pete? That's that's it. Very good. Nice job. So he's not in. He's not in Eldritch, and that's who Travis always likes to play. So we already know they only had four Elder Gods in here. There's tons of Elder Gods, so expansions are coming. And you know what? I will probably get them because actually this past weekend, May Day uh, Games had a sale on their card sleeves. And I know we're kind of sharing this game, so I decided to go buy card sleeves for these things. I'm going to sleeve all the cards. Well, you are the man. I'll tell you what. I got a feeling. uh, Who knows? uh, I'll probably get to play it, and it will probably stay on your shelves because of how long it is. I know on my little small gaming group, a three-hour session, I will lose them in a heart. I don't have enough snack mix to keep people entertained (laughs) for that. I will say something. You you did bring up a point that Bob kind of said. He said at the end of the game, he was kind of tired of reading the flavor text. So when you did a location card, we were all reading the flavor text. It was getting to the point where he said, I just want to look at the card and see what the icon is to know what test I need to roll. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And it is. It, you do remove yourself from the theme when you do that. But I can understand if the game starts dragging on, it's just like, all right, what test do I need to make? And what happens if I pass? What happens if I fail? Exactly. Um, well, that's great that you got to do that. I know you also got a five, we did a five minute on Rise of Augustus, which is uh, was a big hit for you. I know I, I'm still thinking about getting that game, but you went ahead and got it and mm-hmm. big, huge success. Who all played there? That was uh, really worked out well because we introduced it to people who aren't into aren't big into gaming. We introduced it to Vanessa's. Um, let's see who it be. Cousin and her husband, plus Vanessa's mom, who actually sat down and played with us. Wow. And we we played two games of that and it, it was really well liked. You could tell we, there was no way we was going to introduce a game that was any more complicated than that. It, that's where it was like, it kind of reached the upper limit of what it needs to be as far as complicated for people who aren't into hobby games, but they really enjoyed it. So yes, I highly recommend it as a game that you could bring in that you can teach people who aren't gamers. We had success with that. People enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't hard to understand. There's, there's not a lot of reading, you know, there's no text. It's just images on the cards. The only thing is people can get a little, we're getting a little confused about what strategy should I do? I mean, there's more strategy to the game than just trying to match icons. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, as far as what cards you get in order to synergize, to get the most points after two games, they were starting to see at the end. Oh, I really should have picked up this card, which would have helped me, et cetera. I hear you. And let's see, I got, while you were gone, um, I got to play trains and stations again with the correct rules this time. Nice. Um, yeah, the first time we screwed them up big time, and this time we played them right. And I unfortunately wiped the floor with everybody. And I, I learned because I was reading this on the site is if you're playing trains and stations, and I can't wait to get this to the table for you to try it out, Marnie. I'll go ahead and tell you the strategy. Everybody was locked in on the strategy of I'm going to complete my route. I'm going to do the uh, train um, routes just like they do in a ticket to ride. And that's not how you win this game. You have got to do the um, 
putting out the stations to collect the goods so that you can have a majority shareholder in which, and we'll talk about this in this game. And I quickly learned that those trying to complete the routes were just trying to gather a few points from that. They never got the gist. And I had all my stations, the, the stations out and I had the majority of all the goods and I walked, racked up 35 points immediately. And they're all like, how in the world did you beat us by 30 points? I'm like, I had the majority of the goods and that's how you mm-hmm. get the points. So it'll be interesting. Oh. And how long is that gameplay? Um, if you pay attention, probably in an under an hour. Oh, cool. Because cool. your dice rolling, everybody has their dice, and um, you're just resolving dice rolls, and as long as they don't go analysis paralysis on the on the tracks. And even I did that occasionally. I would go into that, and I'm like, oh, man, I cannot believe that um, I, you know, I'm sitting here not ready to go. But you get in that way because you're sitting there, you're waiting on your dice. Do I go and push my luck and try to get this? Because if you screw up and you get three locked trains, you lose three victory points. So it'll be interesting, mm-hmm. and we'll definitely have it. We'll, I'll bring it over, and we'll we'll give it a shot on our game night coming up here um, next month. That's that sounds great. Also, just a quick mention: I also got the uh, the expansion to Lords of the Waterdeep to the table for the families. The first time they played, like everybody else, they loved it. The uh, corruption mechanic adds so much to the game, and again. It was a very tight game. Uh, I think we had the three top people were all kind of bunched together, and I think the other person was a little bit less than that. Whoever came in last, I don't remember. But again, just a, just a very tight game, and that went very well. So that was a big hit too. Oh, I bet it was. Um, and then, of course, can't wait to see what Secret Santa's bring us. I put Lords of the Water Deep on mine. Just Lords of Water Deep. Did I say the? I think I did. Okay, I think you did. But Lords of Water Deep on mine. But I don't think it's um, it was in the list. And how far are you in Pathfinder? Uh, we are halfway through the first. Well, there's the there's the intro scenario, and then there's the the first adventure pack. We are halfway through that one. Cool, I hear you on that. And then now it's the PNP play, Pathfinder and Pizza. I like that. Yeah, PNP Pathfinder Pizza. All right. Well, I know we're about out of time here, so real quick, right? Um, Corey Young Gravwell comes out in December. I don't know if you're going to purchase that one up, or if you're going to borrow mine, or what, but. Um, you know, I, I would I would like to try it. We do need to get our five minute initiative uh, released right when that comes out, so it'll be like fresh on people's minds when it's available in the store. Right, and he did he posted out how he has already modded his own ships. He took the ships and he added different bases to it. I'm going one up him. I'm going to go get my micro machine Star Trek's mint in box from the 1980s. I think that I think are selling for like two dollars on eBay right now. So I'm just going to crack those bad boys open and I'm going to stick them in there. My micro machines, Star Trek, and those are going to be my little Gravwell things. So nice. I know. Hey, why not? What they're sitting, they've been sitting in a box for 15, 20 years. What good are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nice. And also, um, on our next episode, it's going to be our, uh, one year anniversary, but it's also our at the table segment is going to be what gift are you looking for under your tree? We do have a thread right now in our board game geek uh, forum uh, with uh, I think it's called that you titled it it's really obvious on, on which one it is if you want to uh, con- at the table December or something like that I don't know okay yeah if, if people have been contributing uh, their thoughts of what game are they look most looking forward to to have under the tree this year I'll put it out there and uh, we'll read it and this time I will try to go again to our game club and actually have the application work this time to record something and um, we'll see how that goes. So that'll be on our next segment. And uh, the deadline for that is, oh, I don't know. Let's see what the show comes out in a couple of weeks. I, I don't uh, know. Well, let's just say by December the 10th. 
Okay, December the 10th. Yeah, if you can have your entries in by then, that would be fantastic. And I want to do a quick shout out, Marty, to the Secret Cabal. They're, you know, got big sponsors and they get free games, unlike us small guys here. But they're doing, <laughs> yeah, Riley. And, um, but they've got a contest going on where if you write a Christmas carol, they'll perform it the winner and they'll get to, you'll get to win uh, games. So, oh, they, cool. Yeah, they've got a nothing personal. And I think they said they got a whole bunch of other games out there. So if you're a member of the Secret Cabal Guild on Board Game Geek, um, you may want to check out that contest and see if you can come up with a Christmas carol about games. And if you're the winner, you get to win games. So we need to put our heads together and they didn't exclude any other network members. So maybe with your musical background, we can come up with a Christmas carol about games. Yeah. Well, actually, um, Vanessa came up with an idea and I don't want to say it cause somebody will steal it. So I have to tell you offline what it is. Oh, so you've I already did. heard of this contest? No, no, I haven't. Oh, no, okay. I have not. The Vanessa just came up with this. She said, I got a great idea for a video for y'all. And she told me, I said, that's brilliant. So we'll have to see if we have time to get it done this year. If not, we'll do it Christmas 2014. I hear you, man. All right. Well, I think that just about does us in for the year. Go take us a nap after eating all that turkey and and get ready for December and the rush that's going on. Oh, oh, I almost forgot to tell you something. I thought of a new game for us. To, to design. I want to do a game based on my frustration today of putting up Christmas lights. <laughs> I think okay. it would a, a tile laying game where everybody is trying to build a Christmas light strand and you can play like dead bulb or bu- busted fuse or, <laughs> or kinked wire or something like that. A deck build. I don't know, but I was ready to just, let's just say a few strands have unfortunately gone to the recycle bin. I am about tired of those things. Well, Vanessa went out tonight and had to get a, a whole lot of new lights because it seems like every year we plug in lights and they're dead. So Target had a sale on lights uh, tonight, so she went and loaded up on a ton of ton of new lights for the tree. So I'll be dealing with that this week. Was it just tonight? Was it? What do you mean? The was sale just, was just tonight or was it all week? It was It was this, I think it's this whole week. Okay, good, because I need some more lights because I, <laughs> I, I have not Griswold the house up enough yet, and I know I'm nothing compared to your house, so can't wait to the 14th to see it. Yeah, I think this year we're up to 10 trees. I bow to the woman. She's incredible. I know yeah, you help. Uh, I know you help, but still. Yeah, wow. uh, yeah, people, you did not hear that incorrect. 10 trees. And Vanessa doesn't count a tree unless it's six feet tall. And each tree has a theme to it, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And does she she doesn't keep them decorated. She brings them no. all out, and you have to no. redecorate them all. Yep. We got down everything today, and I had that realization that every extra spot of storage space we have in this house is dedicated to Christmas decorations. She's, but hey, it's incredible, and I. The the ghost on the potty at Halloween is always my favorite guy, too. So. <laughs> yeah, there's one for Christmas, but we didn't buy it. I can't remember what it was, an elf or something like that. Uh, that'd be creepy, man. All right. Well, anyway, guys, we appreciate you listening as always. And if you would, just keep rolling dice and taking names. Your spirit is weak, Bruce Wayne. Not really. Because I follow Dice and Names on Twitter, which, if you didn't know, is the official podcast. Of justice. Aren't they located at rolldicetakenames.com? Yeah, that's right. And Marty, I don't know if you remember, I can't believe this happened. When Lord of the Rings, the online site shut down, they gave everybody a box of the rare cards. Do you remember that? Uh, no. Did we miss the rare cards? We missed the rare cards because we didn't log in in time. You had to submit and they were they sent you all the cards. I could not believe we did that. So how much money do you think we dumped into that thing? 
Oh, I don't even want to know. And and what do we have to show for it today? Nothing. Yeah, that's what that's hey, hey, appropriate title, right? Right. Money for nothing. Hi, this is Marty from a few days after we recorded this episode. As I'm editing this episode, I get word from Z-Man Games that Robinson Crusoe will be out to stores and distributors in early December. Now, as you heard, we gave them a lot of grief on this episode. Thus, I feel we need to come on and apologize and say, Great game, guys. Can't wait to get it at our hands. Now we have to go eat some crow pie.